Well, kia ora, hello and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So without further ado, let's get into this week's message. So as we wrap up this Going Deeper series... Um, it's just been a great few weeks. You know, we've, we've talked around the word, we've talked around conversations of the heart through prayer. And today what I want to do is I want to, I guess, present a bit of an image, a bit of a picture of what this going deeper sort of life could be like. And then I want to look at some, some particular pathways that we can go down in order to help see that image take place. Uh, I'm going to dive into Isaiah 55, so if you've got your Bibles, if you've got them on your phone or uh, there on your coffee table, then feel free to, to get them out and read along with me. But just before I dive into this incredible chapter within Scripture that just shows us so much of God's love for us and what Jesus came to do, I'm going to pray and then, uh, and then we'll dive into it. Father, we just so thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you that you are not limited by physical characteristics, Lord God, of where we might meet together. God, you're here in our midst right now. So, Father, I just pray, God, that as we share for a few moments around your word, God, would you just come and speak to us? Speak and enliven our hearts to the things of you. Lead us forward. Invite us into this incredible story that you have for us, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So Isaiah 55, uh, and in verse 1, it says this, Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And this incredible picture of supply that God has for us that it's not about having a particular uh, thing, it's that it's available to all. You know, and isn't that the message of the gospel, you know, that, that Jesus came not just for a select few, but came for all. I, um, I shared uh, this week a, a little clip from Craig Groeschel. He was preaching to his church, and he was saying, you know, some people say that God helps those who help themselves. And then he was like, but the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says God helps those who ask for it. God helps those who, who seek after him, who thirst after him. Who, if, if, if you're dry and weary and this season that we've been in has left you feeling a little bit cold and you cry out to God, the incredible thing about the heart of God for you and for me is that he meets us, that he, that, that he comes to those who would ask, those who would thirst after him. Uh, then in verse 2, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fear. Give ear and come to me. I love this line. Listen that your soul may live. Just such a beautiful statement, eh? That we would listen to God so that our souls may live. He then goes on uh, within that chapter to talk about if we would turn towards God, if we'd turn from our wicked ways, 
he would accept us and we would come home to him. And then in verse 10, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. In other words, this word that comes to water the souls of us, comes to water our hearts, like water that would come to the earth, it won't return without doing what it's purpose to do, to be able to bring refreshment to our lives. Then verse 12, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands, even creation itself. In verse 13, which is really the verse that I want to kind of just draw your attention in terms of the imagery around it, says this, instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree and instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. This reference to coming to Jesus and that as the promise of what Jesus does for us as he came to earth, yes, it's for creation, but it's also obviously this metaphor of what it can mean for us. In the message version, it puts it like this. It says, no more thistles, but giant sequoias. No more thorn bushes, but stately pines. Monuments to me, to God, living and lasting evidence of God. Today, as we wrap up this series of going deeper, I want to encourage us on this journey of going from thorn bushes to pine trees. Thorn bushes to pine trees. You can see on the screen there, that you know you've got you've got this imagery of this nasty, gnarly looking thorn bush and this pine tree, this great scene that we've got. And I love that about scripture. You know, that scripture actually gives us not just the facts and figures, scripture it, scripture is uses language that captures us in to the imagery of what he wants to and the story that he wants to tell with our lives. Maybe if we were in a Kiwi context, uh, we might change it from thorn bushes and pine trees maybe to gorse and matagari. Oh, sorry, gorse and kauri trees. On the, uh, on the next um, slide that I've got from you, hopefully this kind of just pulls us into Kiwi land a little bit more. You know, it begs the question, what do we want our lives to look like? You know, as, as Scripture does it so beautifully with presenting this sort of imagery, it's to, it's to stir us and to ask us, you know, what's the sort of life that we want to live? Do we want to live the thornbush life, the gorse life, or the giant sequoia, or the kauri tree? And like I say today, I, I, I want to just present some sort of little pathways that we might be able to go down to help kind of build you know, the, the pine tree sort of life. Um, but before we do that, I, I'm, not sure, um, I'm not sure if you've had any experiences with these trees. Uh, for me, I, I, think of, um, I think of mountain biking uh, a little while ago. Uh, I don't know, I just had this real sort of brain fade moment 
I was going down a track, it was a really fun track, but there was some gorse that was coming in from the sides, and I had a t-shirt on as I was going down. I kept getting scratched uh, from the branches that were overhanging the track. And then there was one particular moment, and I saw in front of me that there was, um, there was a, a branch coming in from either side, right? It was about chest height. And like I said, I don't know what I was thinking, but I had one of those split-second decisions. Where I thought, oh, I know what I'll do. Uh, rather than getting scraped on my arms, I'll just lift up my arms, and I'll just let it brush against my T-shirt, and, and it won't get scratched at all. <laughs> yeah, I think you can see where this is leading. Next minute, I'm uh, lying in the middle of a gorse bush, uh, you know, wondering, what the hang was I thinking? <laughs> Just before I talk about some of the different pathways that we can go down, I, I think it is worthwhile for us just to pause a second to think about this imagery. Because if you think about this, there's some things about thorn bushes and gorse bushes which aren't very attractive, right? So thorn bushes, for example, they grow fast and small whereas pine trees grow slow and large. One of the reasons why gorse or thorn bushes are such a pain in the neck is that they grow so easily. They rapidly spread over a hillside, kind of like those things in our lives that, you know, if left unchecked, can run rampant if we don't make active decisions towards the kind of pine tree sort of life, it can easily take place. Uh, another thing that uh, happens with thorn bushes is thorn bushes only look good from a distance. Pine trees inspire up close. <laughs> you know, when you look at one of those hillsides that's covered in gorse, actually I've got a picture here uh, that you can see. It actually looks all right, doesn't it, you know? It, uh, it looks, you know, looks nicely yellow flowers, looks all right. But of course, if you go in close to this, you get quite a different picture. You know, this thorny sort of thing that you don't want to be around. You know, again, if we are to live uh, a gorse or thorn bush sort of life, maybe we, we look at the things that the world would look to as being attractive, you know, the nicest car, the nicest house, the latest technology, whatever it may be. But when you get up close and personal to it, you realize that there's an emptiness to it. Whereas the pine tree looks good from a distance and it inspires you to get close up to it. My last little uh, thing, just as I thought about what these, these uh, types of plants tell us, is that thorn bushes repel and pine trees attract. Living a, a sort of thorn bush or a gorse sort of life, it actually ends up sort of repelling people away, like the purpose of the thorns within the thorn bush. Pine trees, on the other hand, they, they attract, they provide shelter from rain and storms, they, they provide shade and intense heat, they, animals are drawn to the bird's nest, and there is something that is really attractive about a pine tree sort of life. Again, it just begs the question, you know, what's the sort of life that we are wanting to tell? What's the sort of story with our lives 
that we want them to be. One that's of little substance, only attracts from a distance, but when you get up close and personal, it repels you away. Or one that's inviting, that provides shelter and strength to others along the way. Now, I, I don't uh, presume for a moment that any of us grow up wanting to live a thorn bush sort of life, right? And before we sort of start to put ourselves in either camp, I think we can also be honest and real enough to realize that there are some thornbush things within all of our lives. You know, you don't have to dig very far in my world, and I'm sure in yours, to be able to find some stuff that's not perfect, right? But here we are in this series of wanting to go deeper, of wanting to be able to live out the stories of our lives with a sense of God's depth within our worlds. And so obviously it begs the question, how do we... How do we do that? How do we, how do we best do that? And there are a lot of different things that we could talk about within, within this and some great content that we've done the last few weeks. But for today, I just want to talk about one aspect in particular, and that is the way that we connect with God, the different pathways that we can go down in how we connect with God. There's no particularly right way of doing this, And actually, one of the beautiful things about God is that he creates us in all sorts of different ways, right? And therefore, how we connect with God can also be in different ways. There's a great book by Gary Thomas, uh, and it's called Sacred Pathways. Some of you may be familiar with the book. You might have even read it yourself. But within this book, he he looks at different temperaments, different pathways that we can go down and how we can connect well with God in that. And what I'd actually like to do this morning, and uh, I want to try and talk about all nine, I know what you're thinking, all nine different temperaments, nine different ways. Because what he does in this is he... He presents this this idea that our journeys with God are not designed to be cookie-cutter Christians. And sometimes what we can do is that we can infer a particular way of connecting with God, and therefore that that should be the right way for everyone. But when we look around creation, when we, when we look around the people around us, we, we realize that we are so different. And therefore, we will connect with God in different ways. And so I guess this morning, I want to give you a little bit of liberty, a little bit of freedom to be able to explore some of these different pathways some of you will be really familiar with. Uh, and I don't want to talk about all nine so that you can remember all nine. I want to talk about all nine just so that maybe there's, there's one or two or three as I go through that just kind of grab your attention a little bit. And, and I want to encourage you just to be listening for that. It's like, oh, maybe, maybe that would be a good thing for me to explore in the way that I connect with God. Maybe I could do something to do with that particular pathway. All right, so you ready for nine? Yep, can cope with that. <laughs> okay, here we go. First one. The naturalists. 
those who love God best outdoors. Now, you've got to be careful with the spelling of this one, okay? Some of you will get that. Uh, These are people who, they go outside and it's like, this is God's cathedral, you know? This is the place where they can connect so well with God. You'll connect with the idea that, um, uh, that much of the Bible is actually set outdoors. And so I was like, okay, well, this is the, just a great place where I connect with God. Now, now this is definitely a big part of me. I, I love getting outdoors uh, with God. And, and in fact, I, uh, I remember a particular um, occurrence for me running through Wenderholm Regional Park. Many of you will be there just north of where we are. And uh, it just came down one of, the, one of the particular tracks. And for that, that day, the cicadas were just going nuts. And, uh, and as I ran through this particular section of track, I had, that, I had a real moment with God where that, that, um, that, that scripture in Hebrews 12 that tells us that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on in the, in the race that we're in within, within my world. Now, when I hear cicadas even now, I go back to that, even though it was years ago, as being something that was really significant. For me, obviously a way that I'm, that I'm wired. All right, so there's the naturalists. Uh, then we've got the sensates who love God through their senses. For you, it's helpful for you to purposefully engage with your different senses, sight, sound, smell, touch, and taste, in the way that you connect with God. Maybe it means setting up uh, your connection with God with a, a familiar smell or a familiar sound. You know, for centuries, more traditional churches have used things like incense in their worship of God. Not because incense is anything supernatural or has anything particular about it, but because the association with the smell helps to lead us into the presence of God. It makes me think of... Um, 2 Corinthians 2.15, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. If that's you, experiment with engaging your senses as you connect with God. Thirdly, traditionalists. Traditionalists love God through religious ritual and symbols. Traditionists, they love structure. They love repetition and rigidity. You might find a a daily liturgy really helpful for your relationship, your journey, your story with God. Again, if you're anything like me, you might have have grown up with um, a little bit of an undercurrent that says that this style of worship is kind of not genuine, not authentic or not real enough. But again, for centuries, millions and millions and millions of Christians around the world have used this method of worshiping God to enrich their walk with him. If you love that idea of structure and rigidity, why don't you lean into a traditionalist sort of mode of connecting with God? Then there's the ascetics who love God in solitude and simplicity. And this is known as the monastic temperament, where you take away the noise and the distractions of life 
and an ascetic will just easily and freely come and connect with their loving God. As a real contrast here, we were just talking about the sensate and their, um, their love of engaging the senses. You know, here is the ascetic who loves it to be all stripped away. Gary Thomas says this, he says, ascetics are strict only because they want to reserve a major portion of their lives for their passionate pursuit of God. Then number five, there's uh, activists. Activists love God through confrontation. <laughs> this is not me. <laughs> An activist loves to fight for the things that are important to God, godly principles, things that are of issues of justice. If you are an activist, you will feel most alive when you are pursuing that in some way. You know, you, you think of guys like Charles Finney or William Wilberforce and the abolishing of slavery and so forth, but it, it obviously doesn't have to be on that sort of level. Any time that you can activate something of the justice of God and, and connect with God and that you will feel alive in it. So if you feel alive in it, then lean into it. Allow yourself the liberty and the freedom to be able to connect with God in that way. Then uh, number six, caregivers. Caregivers love God through loving others. They worship God by serving others and giving of themselves. If you're a caregiver, you see the compassion of Christ and it motivates you to do the same. And in so doing, you, you sense God's closeness and his intimacy with you. Matthew 14, 14 says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. It was his compassion that moved him. And the way that a caregiver connects with God is tapping into that compassion of Christ. Then there's, we're on the home straight, all right? Then there's the enthusiasts who love God through mystery and celebration. The enthusiast is drawn to God through outward displays of passion and enthusiasm. They love the fact that they can express themselves to God and that Christianity is something to get excited about. They don't see a problem with church being a great celebration or of, of all that God is expressed through his people. And in their own connection with God, they're happy to express their enthusiasm, their passion, their love for God in that way. They're drawn to the more supernatural elements and aspects of God, his, his healing, his breakthrough within people's lives. Then again, on the other side of things, we have the contemplatives who love God through adoration. Contemplatives worship through attentiveness and deep love and intimate times of active prayer with God. 
they enjoy fostering this intimate friendship with God and it, it motivates them towards a life of deeper faith. Some seek to serve God, others to celebrate Him, others to serve Him or to explain Him. But a contemplative seeks to gaze lovingly and longingly at God, into God's face, that we might be caught up within His love. Not for the sake of getting anything out of Him, but just for the sake of being with Him. Psalm 63 and verse 1, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being belongs to you. Then finally, number nine, intellectuals. Intellectuals love God with their mind. You would have been waiting for this. (laughs) <laughs> you would have been, come on, come on, when are you going to talk about this? You're thinking about it. The, the intellectual's heart is open uh, as they understand something new about God. They love study and apologetics. They love intellectual pursuits of their faith, and it helps draw them into their relationship with God. If, again, if this is you, then lean into that They realize that the way that we think about God and our faith is so important for shaping the stories that we have. And so therefore, it's important that we get our thinking aligned. Uh, I must admit, I I think of Ravi Zacharias, uh, who passed away this week. Just an incredible uh, man, an apologetic, who just communicated the truth of who God was uh, so well. So hopefully as we've very quickly just sort of rattled through that list, there might be something, one or two or three of these particular uh, temperaments, these particular pathways, that kind of grabs you. And if you want to dig into that a little bit more, obviously you can, uh, you can source the book, that's really easy, or you can just go online, do a bit of Googling, and you can find all sorts of material and resources to be able to help. Maybe there's something in particular in there that you want to, uh, you just want to find out a little bit more about, you want to experiment with. This whole idea of going deeper with God is so that we would be able to have lives that have a depth to them. And so it's good for us to lean into the different ways that we can do that and develop that with God. And as I sort of wrap things up to a, a, a close, I, I want to I just bring us back to where we began. And that was with this invitation and picture that's presented in Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You know, you might realize this, I talked a while back that this season has been really tough for you. And you are just aware of that dryness within your own heart, within your own life. 
you can tap into these particular pathways, but another thing that you could actually do here and now is that we've got a, a team of people who are all set up ready to be able to pray with you. What we've got is a Zoom call that um, uh, it'll come up in the, in the comments section in just a moment. If you click on that link, it'll take you into um, a, a Zoom meeting. Craig Young will be there and he will be able to pair you up with an individual or a couple to be able to pray with you. And so I really want to encourage you to utilize that, to, to draw on that. Maybe you're, maybe you're sitting in a, in a living room with a couple of other people at the moment and you want to ask them to pray for you, pray in this season, or to step into having somebody else come and pray for you. We're also going to, in a moment, take communion together and just allow uh, this to be a time of, and a place for us to connect well in with God's heart for us. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. when we lean into these sorts of things, we can, we can begin to walk down that path of developing sort of a, a pine tree type of life. But the thing is that if we all do it together, we get a forest sort of thing going on. That there is something uh, in our community, in our midst, that draws others because of the lives that we would live with Christ. Well, thanks again for tuning in to today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you're keen to find out more about us as a church whānau, you're welcome to go to coast.org.nz or of course we'd love to meet you in person. We meet at 10am at Aurewa College on the beautiful Hibiscus Coast and you're more than welcome. Be blessed and have a great day.